Today in the Women Mind the Water Art of a Series, I'm speaking with Kimberly Kenna. Kimberly is a writer whose children's books focus on strong girls and their powerful drive to protect the natural world. Kimberly's own power is rooted in both her professional background as an adolescent and family counselor and as a fifth grade ecology and language arts teacher. The Women Mind the Water Art of a Series podcast on womenmindthewater.com engages artists in conversation about their work and explores their connection with the ocean. Through their stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. My guest on the Women Mind the Water Art of a Series is Kimberly Kenna, a children's book author. Growing up on the shores of Long Island Sound, Kimberly developed a strong connection to nature and the beach. After working with youngsters as a counselor and as an ecology and language arts teacher, Kimberly discovered a new purpose when she began writing stories for kids. Her stories aim to get readers involved, have them think about themselves, their relationships with others, and with nature. Two titles in her Brave Girl collection are set to be released in 2023, and Kimberly is working on a third. Thank you for joining me, Kimberly. I think listeners will be eager to hear about your journey to becoming a published author and how you came to shape stories around brave girls. Your first book, Artemis Spark and the Sound Seekers Brigade, is due to be released on February 2nd, which is also World Wetlands Day. Your commitment to wetlands is further evidenced by the fact that part of the proceeds from your first book will go to Save the Sound, a New Haven, Connecticut-based nonprofit that promotes ecological restoration in the Long Island Sound area. Kimberly, let's begin by having you tell us about Long Island Sound. It clearly is important to you and the setting for your first book, Artemis Spark and the Sound Seekers Brigade. Kimberly, let's begin by having you tell us about Long Island Sound. It clearly is important to you and the setting for your first book, Artemis Spark and the Sound Seekers Brigade. What I know about Long Island Sound is that it has along its shoreline several densely populated cities like New York and New Haven, and it is a heavily traveled transportation corridor. The corridor is what I mean to say, with heavy industry. It is also an estuary where salt water from the ocean mixes with fresh water from rivers like the Housatonic and Connecticut. Estuaries are said to be some of the most productive ecosystems on Earth. Tell us about the Long Island Sound you know and love. Sure. Well, thank you for having me, Pam. I'm excited to talk about all this with you. Um, so I was born and raised in this area on, on the shores of Long Island Sound. So it goes way back. Um, as a kid, it was beaches and the shore and the trails around them were um, places of play and excitement and um, family time spent clamming and crabbing with my dad, fishing, um, a place where I'd go if I needed some quiet. I'm the oldest of four kids, so uh, at times I wanted to get away and I would go sit on the beach and just hang out there and be. Um, and so I, I, I saw it as sort of an idyllic as well as an exciting uh, area. And then as I got older, I understood a little bit more about it. And um, 
as a kid, you know, maybe the beaches were closed a few times a summer because of big storms and um, high bacteria levels. And I didn't really think that much of it, I think, as a kid. But then as, as time went on and I learned more about uh, the impact of humans on this uh, very fragile area, it, it, it sunk in more that, you know, it wasn't something we could all just take for granted. I still enjoy it immensely. I mean, I still do all those things. Um, well, not fishing, but I do a lot of other things around here, uh, outside by the water. Um, but I am definitely more tuned into the fact that, you know, what will happen if we don't if we don't pay attention and do our best to keep it safe and healthy. Okay, so the Long Island Sound that your brave girl character, Artemis, lives seems far away from any hustle bustle of urban places. Artemis, however, is concerned about changes happening in her little coastal town. Would you say that Artemis is in some way biographic? Um, so as far as her being biographic, she definitely, I would say, has parts of me in her. and. Um, also a conglomeration of many, I've worked with a lot of kids teaching and coaching and probably all, you know, mixes of attributes of many, many children I know, but again, including myself. So there's no, it's, she's not based on one particular person. When you chose a setting for your book, what elements did you feel were important? Well, it's interesting because you asked me about choosing the setting and as a writer, I feel like I didn't really choose it to begin with because Artemis came to me while I was hiking around the salt marsh trails and I saw her in that area hiking around the salt marsh trails overlooking Long Island Sound. So to begin with, I didn't really choose a setting, but as a writer, certainly as you go on, you have to decide whether that setting works. And um, I chose obviously not to cut it. I, I'm using this setting. So... In effect, I did choose it. And the reason the elements that you're asking about would be, um, does the setting support the themes of the book and, you know, the themes of uh, finding voice, respect for nature, um, legacy, things like that. And on reflecting change, certainly nature reflects change. Those are the elements that I was looking to um, be sure that the setting could reflect. Interesting. I would say then that uh, Artemis is a Kimberly whisperer <laughs> yeah. and helped you pick the setting. Um, when you wrote, were you writing about a real place or was that too an amalgamation of places that you know? Definitely an amalgamation. But again, since I've, I grew up around here, those beaches and trails are all in my head. But I've also visited a lot of coastal towns. So it is sort of a... Okay, well, I grew up along Long Island Sound, too, and I didn't get a clear vision of the marsh and the actual setting, and I wondered if you did that kind of as an abstract painting where you were trying to promote the reader's imagination or maybe encourage them to do some research about the area in order to see it more clearly through Artemis's eyes. Okay, so this is a really interesting perspective to me because I had a clear vision in my head 
when I was writing all of the settings, you know, the nature settings that were in the book. Um, but what I find interesting is that you describe it as an abstract painting. And to me, an abstract painting, it defies a literal representation. So in my book, which happens to have magical realism in it, meaning mm -hmm. a little magic can occur in a realistic setting, it makes sense that you're, that, or I can understand your perspective here because you're looking at a story with blurred edges, sort of. There, there, it's not out and out black or white. Uh, there is a little magic to it. So um, though I, I, I feel that many people do see the settings uh, clearly, the fact that you're seeing it with, with that sort of blurred abstract really excites me in a way because this is what I'm trying to get readers to do is to look at things with different eyes and to understand that that things are always changing. And also the way people see things aren't always going to be the way that we see things. So if, if my book and story um, get kids to question or provoke uh, their curiosity or even, yeah, get the teachers and them saying, wait a minute, I need to research this to learn more, then to me, I've met my goal in, in at least that aspect. Oh, and you made my day by saying that I excited you. <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so I come from a scientific background, and I guess when I was saying abstract, I don't see what the seagrass looks like. I don't smell the mud. You talk about it being there, but I think I would like name the plant and tell a little more about its leaf or oh, okay. understand a little more what salt marsh looks like, which I don't say you have to do. I'm just saying that's why it seemed abstract to me because I could be in a marsh just about anywhere. Right. But I, under I understood her affection, um, particularly because you portray Artemis is being able to communicate with a bird. And I describe it more like telepathy than actually talking to the bird. Artemis also seems to be able to interpret the language of fireflies and even march grasses, which, you know, we all, well, I don't know that we all, but many of us have sort of the, um, is it Snow White? They can talk to the birds. And so I, I really was excited about that, but never thought I could, confer with the marsh grasses. So why did you choose this device to convey the problems that the marsh was experiencing? Well, again, I didn't choose it to begin with. Okay. When she came to me, she was interacting with creatures and plants uh, in a felt sense, but also verbally. So, so her, what you're seeing as tel telepathic communication is more an attribute of her personality. So her ability to sense what's going on in the environment is just a virtue of the fact that um, her neighbor, Mrs. Moonchaser, might say, comes from those who, who are uh, willing to be still and listen and observe and attend. Um, and I grew up with and around uh, people who did speak to their plants and trees and um, uh, birds. Thank you, mom. She she does speak to birds still, actually. And to me, it's 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 not unnatural, but 
it's almost like an extra sense and a gift. When I kayak, and I live in Maine on Casco Bay, I often sing to the seals, hoping that they will pay attention because it's a sound they don't hear, like the rumbling of boats. Mm. Um, and I kind of hope that we'll have, you know, some communication. But I think I need to walk on some of the trails you do <laughs> and maybe have uh, Artemis whisper to me so I could be a little more in tune. <laughs> I definitely... I definitely see and feel, but I haven't got through that communication yet. So from your experience as a counselor and an educator, can you tell me uh, how you view stories as being useful in communicating ideas to, to youngsters? Yeah, I think um, stories, fictional stories, are just an amazing way, uh, useful way, to communicate with kids. It, it, stories allow kids to experience different things or things that they're familiar with from, from a distance in a safe way. So um, if it's something difficult like divorce or um, you know bullying or anything like that, seeing it in a story, first of all, for somebody who is going through it themselves is, is, is affirming. You know, it, it, they're not alone. There are other people that are going through this. And second of all, if even if you're not going through it, it it, it stories are a way of providing um, or developing for kids to develop empathy and to better understand other people. Um, it just stories just can be very very powerful in that way. And more more than that, they open up dialogues between the child and the teacher or children and other children, just readers and other readers. Um, they're just, as we were talking about before, if it makes you question and wonder, then that's, that's, that's great for starting a powerful, meaningful discussion. Well, you've used the term magical realism. Um, and although Artemis Spark and the Sound Seekers Brigade isn't a ghost story, Several ghosts actually appear in the story, and I wanted to know why you felt it necessary to include ghosts, or why Why do you think Artemis came to you and talked to you about ghosts? So um, this story evolved directly from um, my experiences with children, and especially in the classroom. So as a teacher, we would explore what we called essential questions that are like big umbrella questions that would be one question used throughout the year that would encompass and thread through all the different areas of the curriculum. So um, one was, how does the past influence the present? So whether we were studying ancient Egypt or Greece or ecology or whatever, that came into, that, came, that question was always in the back of our minds when we were exploring, researching, and discussing. So in, in that vein, in my classroom, we would oftentimes tap into, or what we used to call resurrect the ghosts of, deceased people, and in this particular case, deceased ecologists. And the students would, um, after you know reading picture books or doing a little research, would step into the shoes of these ecologists and try and um, imagine themselves as that ecologist 
up against a problem in Long Island Sound today. So how might that past ecologist strategies be applied to today's problems in Long Island Sound? So this whole thing about ghosts, resurrecting ghosts as we did in the classroom metaphorically, that's how it wove its way into um, Artemis Sparks' story, was I saw Artemis as also being able to learn something thanks to the legacy of, of, of the um, environmentalist ecologists uh, before her. Of the ecologists that I know, um, I'm unfamiliar with the three that you did choose. Was there a particular reason why these three came into the story? You know, there are, there are many, many, many people that have made differences um, in the ecology field that are not, you know, Rachel Carson. So I thought it was really important to learn about some of these other people and to see that uh, success and people that do good things come in all different shapes and sizes. I love that. That's exactly what I'm trying to do with my podcast. It's not, I mean, the people that I talk to range from being well-known to just effectuating change in their own world. Do you think by naming Artemis's gender that it affects a reader's engagement? For example, does writing from a girl's perspective, even though she is a brave girl, do you think it affects readers' ability to see themselves in the story? I actually looked up some of the study, the more recent studies, because I knew that girls were in a in the minority as being um, represented as protagonists in middle grade fiction. And, and they're still down there. There's still, I think, 65% are, are boys that are protagonists in middle grade. And it was 26% are girls and the rest are uh, dual protagonists, male and female. So I don't know. I just, I do feel that in general, in writing and publishing and books themselves, that that it, girls need to come to the, <laughs> come come out front and center. I agree with you there. <laughs> yes. Finally, Kimberly, do you have advice for adults working or living with youngsters? How can they encourage connection with nature? How can they encourage stewardship and desire to make a difference? And maybe a lesson we all would benefit from, how can we work to avoid apathy or despair from the seemingly overwhelming problems that important yet fragile places like salt marshes face? I know that's a mouthful to ask you to help <laughs> change the world. Yeah. Um, well, I think for adults that are uh, interested in getting kids interested and closer to nature, is you've got to you've got to show it. You know, you have to walk the walk. Um, you know, show your passion, share your passion, get kids outside. Um, if you're in the city, go to parks. Or if you don't have access to parks, you know, maybe there's there are other ways. I happen to be blessed to have a backyard, and you know, many people don't. Um, you know, if you if you grow seeds in your apartment windowsill, things like that will help kids connect. But sharing it with them is the big thing. Sharing nature with children, allowing them to ask tons of questions. And if you can't answer them, great. Every everybody go, you know, look things up together. I think it's just, you know, it's it's just fun for them to do that. And it's fun to know that. Adults don't have all the answers for a child. And um, I just think that if you, it's, it's a trickle-down thing, you know? If, if kids see their parents or other adults trying to keep open spaces clean and safe, 
um, you know, if they see them respecting nature, just as you should respect another human, that that is going to, you know, somehow affect them and hopefully in a positive way. Um, you know, just to know that every little change makes a difference, interconnectedness. I mean, we don't have to use all that big words with them or anything, but just by being outside or with nature in some way with kids, I think that comes across. And then um, as far as the uh, last question about avoiding apathy and distress for, for especially us adults that have, you know, been with this for a while, I would say, you know, join a brigade, get, get with other people and learn what it feels like to have joined voices and the power of many voices and share your concerns and share your brainstorming for how to make things a little bit better. And, 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 it, and, and it, and it helps keep your hope up a little bit. I think when you have people around you that share your same concerns. So um, even online, there are a lot of online groups now Audubon has them. And I know save the sound does uh, for different ways of, of connecting with other people that share your um, concern and your passion. I think that's well said, very wise. And I think that Artemis is wise beyond her years. So you're very lucky she's come to you. Kimberly, I appreciate your interest in being on the Women Mind the Water Artemis series podcast. I hope listeners have enjoyed our conversation about writing, ecology, and using stories to educate, empower, and inspire. I'd like to remind listeners that I've been speaking with Kimberly Kenna for the Women Mind the Water Artemis series podcast. The series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com, Museum on Main Street, and YouTube. An audio-only version of this podcast is available on womenmindthewater.com, on iTunes, and Spotify. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for the use of her song, Women of the Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Ferris Olson. This is Pam Ferris Olson.